What a week, right? What a week we've had following months of what a month we've had. We had, an our, we had our election. Some people are very, very disappointed. Other people are almost happy. Some might be jubilant. And it would make sense because people have different opinions. But what bothers me in this election, and it's been true all my life and all through history, but it seems bigger now, is that the church is not unified. As divided as our country is, so divided is the church. Some people, some preachers proclaim that if you vote for this one, you can't be a real Christian. Other preachers proclaim if you vote for that one, you can't be a real Christian. Others try to write nuanced articles or um, pieces that help people understand that there are good things and bad things on both sides. And the comments underneath those articles, those pieces, are filled with hatred, filled with judgment, filled with people saying, you're wrong because you can't vote for this one and be a real Christian, or you can't vote for that one and be a real Christian. And I just wait for the day when God will sort this all out, when all those people who disagree with my understanding of these things will be shown for how foolish they've been. <laughs> well, yeah, or maybe I'll be shown for has, how foolish I've been. Jesus tells this parable um, with a purpose, and I love Luke's helpful introductions to these parables to help us know why Jesus told each one. This one, he says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. And this parable is a parable of reversals. Those who think they're right, the one who thought he was right was wrong, and the one who was wrong was accepted. This Pharisee comes to the temple where he belongs. He comes to the temple as a religious person at a religious place, and he stands up and takes his place in front of other people, most likely, and declares his prayers, which, if you look carefully, are not prayers at all. But we'll get to that. First, this Pharisee is a good guy, a really good guy. He's a Pharisee. That's the standard. Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul said, if you want to judge people by how worthy they are, look at me. I meet the standard. I am a Pharisee. He is part of the group that's set apart to be holy and is perceived to be holy. Remember, we look back at Scripture knowing how Jesus interacted with the Pharisees and see them as not so great because of how Jesus had to... Um, interact with them. But for the people of his day, 
Pharisees were assumed to be the holiest of the holy people, good people. And he lists what he does not do. He does not rob. He is not unrighteous. He's not an evildoer. He doesn't cheat and he doesn't commit adultery. All the things he does are good. And, or I mean all the things he doesn't do are good. It's good that he doesn't do these things. And then he lists what he does do. He fasts twice a week. Now, the Jewish law had some fast built into the year. But twice a week? That's super holy. Super good. A super good guy who tithes 10% of his income. Everyone who heard the story knew that this was a good guy. And he presents himself knowing that he's a good guy. He comes in and he stands up. He stands up um, in a way apart from the other people as an expression probably that he's better than they are. And by many measurements, he indeed is. And then he prays. And the word used there is, is a word that could be translated, he prays to himself, which is a fairly accurate translation of how he acts in this passage. He says, thank you, God. But he doesn't thank God for anything. Can you imagine getting a thank you, thank you note? Well, these days it's pretty impressive to get a thank you note at all. But can you imagine getting a thank you note that said, Dear you, thank you. I'm at the top of my class. I'm the captain of my team. I sing at church. I'm doing so well. Sincerely, whoever. <laughs> thank you. Thank me. Thank me for what? You didn't say anything that I've done for you. All you're doing is saying what you've done for you. And that's the way this man addresses God. He says, thank you, Lord, that I am not like them because I do this and I do this and I don't do that and I don't do that. But there's no God in it. There's no thanks to God because there's nothing that he thanks God for. There's nothing that he sees that God has given him. And then he goes away. Now, the people hearing this parable probably still don't get it. They hear that there was a good, good man who came to God and said thank you and then listed how good he is. And they probably thought, yep, He's a good guy. And if the best way to be accepted by God is personal righteousness and doing what is right and not doing what is wrong, then he's doing it well. Then the next guy comes in, the tax collector. This is a bad guy. A bad, bad guy. Everybody knows it. Even he knows it. They come, he comes in, and he stands apart from everybody else, too. But not because he thinks he's better than everyone else, because he doesn't find himself worthy to even be in their company. He feels bad about himself. There's no debate that he's a bad guy, and he knows it, too. He works for the, uh, the oppressive Roman Empire, the empire that is keeping the people down, that is... Uh, keeping them from being able to be free to do what they truly believe they should do. The Roman Empire robbed them, 
and then continues to rob them by collecting unfair taxes and by asking their own people to collect these taxes and their own people then skim some off the top, take extra, so that they live some of the most lavish lifestyles of all the people in that region. But when he comes to the temple... He doesn't look up, he looks down. And he bangs his chest and said, God, have mercy on me. I'm not worthy. He asks for redemption. He asks that God will solve his problem his problem of sinfulness. And then Jesus says, this man and not the other went home justified before God. And I'm sure the people were astonished. This is not the way they have understood it to work. This isn't the way many religious, especially religious people, uh, believe it works. The religious people then and the religious people now still think that we have to prove ourselves, that we have to do good, do good, do good, avoid bad, avoid bad, avoid bad in order to be accepted by God. And we will set ourselves up as being better than other people and say, thank you, God, I am not like them. Some will say, thank you, God, I'm not a Democrat. Others will say, thank you, God, I'm not a Republican. But enough about politics for now. We have so many other ways to divide ourselves from others and to feel better about ourselves uh, compared to others. We don't need to just go to politics today. Maybe we need a break from it. But in our world today, we tend to divide ourselves, not just me against them, not that I'm such a good person and I thank God I'm not like them, but we have groups and we, we get together in our groups and we all agree with each other that we got it right and they get it wrong and we're so happy that we're not like them. And we as a group can be very critical of them and very hateful and spiteful and mean toward them. That is opposite of the ways of God. This parable is, in, at least in part, teaching us not to do that. Those who are confident of their own righteousness, their own rightness, and look down on everybody else are the ones that Jesus is pointing to and saying, you are wrong. This is not the way to be. So if you find yourselves in yourself or with other groups of people, being glad you're not like them, being glad that you have others who agree with you that you are right and everybody else is wrong and therefore you look down on everybody else, be careful. Well, no, it's more than be careful. It's change. This is not the way that believers are called to be. We are called to be humble before God and before others. So then, who is justified? And the word there means made right, 
made right with God. And the word for righteousness in both Hebrew and Greek carries with it the sense of being accepted. So the Pharisee comes before God, assuming he's accepted by God, assuming that God is highly impressed with him and walks away not accepted. And the tax collector comes before God and says, I am not acceptable, I am not worthy, and walks away accepted. So where does acceptance come from? Does it come from humility? It looks like it, right? This man is humble before God. He says, I am terrible, have mercy on me. It reminds me of a song we used to sing uh, when I was much younger, um, and you may know it too, Humble Thyself in the Sight of the Lord. It was an echo song. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord. And he will lift you up higher and higher. And he will lift you up. Let me tell you something. When I heard that song, and for many years later, I would think, humble thyself. i got, I got to humble myself. And if I humble myself enough, God's going to lift me up. And then people will know how good I am because I'm so humble. <laughs> that's, not, that's not really what is being uh, communicated here. Of course, we humble ourselves before God, yes. And God does lift us up, as it says right here in verse 14. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. But the point isn't, let me be exalted. That points our focus right back at ourselves, which is the very problem that both the Pharisee and the tax collector had. The Pharisee thinking he is valuable because of himself, the um, tax collector thinking he is useless or terrible because of himself. The point of this parable is to get our minds off ourselves, our goodness or our badness, and get our minds on to God and the mercy of God. If we look at it as a goal to be humble, and then when we're humble enough, we'll be exalted, uh, as soon as we work to be humble and think we're humble enough, then we get pretty, uh, pretty proud of being humble. It's a trap. It doesn't work. And if you think that self-loathing in and of itself is the way, it looks like that's where the tax collector comes into this, you miss, once again, the beauty of God's grace the beauty of God's grace is that Jesus Christ took the penalty that was ours. He took any degree of loathing of ourselves upon himself. He took our sins and also our sinfulness, that underlying sinful nature, and he took that upon the cross and died for us so that it is no longer when the man asks for mercy. And Jesus said, he went home justified. The word there means made right, made acceptable. He was acceptable before God because, not because he became humble enough, although hum humility is a good goal, but because he trusted in God's mercy. He trusts, not, you know, this is before, of course, Jesus died and rose, but he trusts in the mercy of God, which is later then, not much later, um, exhibited and made available through the work of Jesus Christ. The Pharisee comes before God 
and seeks to be justified by himself or through himself, through his goodness. And that doesn't work either. We have to trust God, not goodness, not our own goodness. We have to trust God, not our own focus on humility. We trust in the gracious mercy of God to be received by God, to be accepted by God, to be embraced by God because of what Jesus Christ has done. God is good. God is loving. And what God asks of you is to trust him, to fall back on his grace and to be confident, to have great eternal hope in what has been accomplished for you by Jesus Christ. I'm gonna tie this back a bit to the, the children's sermon this morning. Imagine a little girl, six-year-old, goes to her daddy and says, Daddy, can I have $5? And dad says, well, what for, honey? And he, she says, I wanna buy you a Christmas present. So the dad gives her $5 and she goes out and she buys a Christmas trinket, Christmas present, and he opens it on Christmas morning and exhibits great joy that she has purchased this thing and he knows that she put a lot of thought into it and he thanks her. But is he really ahead on this? It was his money. But she used what he entrusted to her to bless him. That is what God asks of us, that we would receive from him and then use what we receive for him. Like a French fry mom or dad bought for us and then they take, because it's still theirs. Everything we have from God is from God, but we can honor God by giving of what he has entrusted to us into his service. This parable is not meant to say, go ahead and be bad, but this parable is meant to say, trust in God, trust in God's mercy, trust in God's grace, trust in the accomplished work of Jesus Christ, and then respond as those who know they are loved, as those who know that they are accepted, and those who know that they have a purpose, the purpose of declaring the grace and mercy of God to a world that is in great need. And one day, God will make it all right. And we will discover we got some things right. We will discover we got some things wrong. And it won't matter. Because the only right that we trust in is the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ.